0: welcome to the freedom factor i'm your host oliver bardwell and today we have special guest district 12 representative stephen holt On this episode of This Week at the Capitol, we're gonna talk about Funnel Week, what happened last week, and what we can expect next week, and how can we help with moving along legislation. So welcome to the show, Representative Holt.
1: Thank you, it's great to be here, Oliver, and for everyone uh, watching, it's great to be with you.
0: I I guess you're laid up in a hotel is what I'm understanding right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we actually, uh, it was Funnel Week, and therefore we had to get our work done. What bills we don't get through committee in the house at the end of this week, which is called Funnel Week, they die. And so that's the self-imposed deadline. That's how we're able to stay on track compared to Washington, D.C., which can never get anything done. We have self-imposed deadlines. We have two funnel deadlines. The first one is that we have to get bills through our committee, and then those bills that get through committee survive, the ones that don't die. And then the second funnel involves the bills that are sent over from the other chamber, the bills that come over from the Senate. We have to get through through committee by that second funnel, or they die. And the Senate operates exactly the same way. And so it's really a self-imposed way that we force ourselves to stay on track. And so uh, uh, yesterday, there were a lot of, you know, it's always the case that, that Funnel Week is very, very busy because there are just a lot of bills to get through. And it always seems to get backed up into Funnel Week no matter what you do. This year, it was made worse because the governor had a huge reorganization of government bill. And that took the legislative services agency a lot of time and effort to put together. It's thousands of pages long. And so a lot of legislation that legislators had filed were not ready in as timely a manner as they normally are because LSA was so busy with the bigger bill. And so that backed us up as well. And so the governor's big reorganization bill was considered by state government in the House last night. And that Democrats don't like that bill. So it took about 10 hours, I think. And so my committee judiciary, we didn't even get to start our work until after midnight, I think it was, and so we finished somewhere close to 2 a.m. Some of your viewers may be aware I broke my ankle a couple weeks ago, slipped on the ice, and so I'm unable to drive, so I have to wait for my wife, who's a school teacher, to pick me up after school today, but we had a very productive week. A lot of great things got done.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a late night, too, 2 a.m.
1: It is, and it's the first time in my, uh, this is my fifth year as chair of judiciary, I believe, it's the first time that we've had to to go late into the night. Normally, we can always finish our work during the blocks that we we are given during the day. But this year, we only had a one-hour block given to us on Thursday. We had 13 bills to get through. And so by the time we caucused on those, uh, those bills, the hour was taken up, so we couldn't come back. We had to recess, and so we couldn't reconvene until the state government committee finished. So that's why we ended up being 2 a.m.
0: Wow. So what are some of the big bills that got through? This week that actually got a subcommittee and committee and we'll be moving forward potentially.
1: Yeah, time slips away from me sometimes. So I will I will mention three bills that I think are ones that I was very deeply involved in that that your viewers would be very, very interested in. Uh the first one is eminent domain bill. I believe that the the CO2 pipelines, I don't have a problem with the pipelines. I have a problem with eminent domain being used to build them. I think it's uh, eminent domain should be used for essential government services, uh, public use, as opposed to public benefit, which unfortunately is something that the Supreme Court Kelo decision didn't get right. And that's why we have these discussions these days. But anyway, I have been working on legislation to try to protect property owners in, in the state to the greatest extent possible. And so my eminent domain bill that I've been working on, that uh, Speaker of the House is has been working on a number, we have 22 co I think it was, That legislation passed through committee, so that was very, very important. Uh, Then the two other bills that I've been working a great deal on, very, very important, was what's called the bathroom bill commonly, but basically K through 12 schools. Kids will be required to use a bathroom that that corresponds with their biological uh, sex. And then the final one is a bill that would ban uh, hormone therapies and gender reassignment surgeries for minors, uh, because all of the data clearly shows that that is not a good idea for a minor to have those life changing, altering uh, surgeries or, or life changing, uh, in many cases, hormone therapies. Uh, it's just not a good idea. We all know that that part of the brain that governs judgment isn't even fully developed until age 25. We have all kinds of prohibitions. Uh, young people aren't allowed to drink alcohol until they're 21. You know, a lot of things related to judgment. And the idea that a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old would have the maturity to make a decision to have a body part removed and change their gender or these uh, hormone uh, blockers uh, that just cause all kinds of issues uh, just doesn't make sense. And so those are the, the three bills of great importance that I worked on. There are also, if you want to talk about them, there are also some very important education bills that move through related to the books and, and those sorts of things also that move through the education committee.
0: Yeah, you know, I spoke on behalf of a couple bills. One was a bathroom bill, and one was the um, the medical treatment for minors for uh, changing their identity. I mean, I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, yeah. One of the huge pieces of data that sticks out to me is that folks who who don't identify who a different gender than what their biology is are nineteen times more likely to commit suicide, and that number really doesn't change through surgeries and hormone blockers and all of these gender reassignment things that are done. The only thing that lessens that number is if you allow these young people to go through puberty. And when they go through puberty, 80% of those who are questioning their gender and and having these issues, 80% of them, once they go through puberty, return to their real biology. So really, the only way to reduce those those suicides is to allow people to go through puberty because 80% of them go back to what their original their actual biology is. So if you put those puberty blockers in and these kids don't get to go through puberty in the same way, you're you're really lessening the the chance that they're going to get to lead healthy lives and not have a lot of mental issues. And so it's just a really important
0: issue that I think we, I hope we will get done this session. I do too. There's a great book. It's called Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier, where she really goes through those studies and talks to parents and detransitioners and... You hear some of the detransitioner stories; they're terrible. I mean they they were coerced into the going down that road. They they feel abandoned. They were, you know, they go through all the medical issues they had from puberty blockers and the cross sex hormones and having their breasts removed and things like that. And it's just, I'm so I'm so happy that we're working on legislation that'll protect our minors from that.
1: And it's really interesting to me. I mean, of course, I grew up in the 60s and this wasn't really an issue then. And so the question is, why is it an issue now? I think that is that is something that as a society we really need to ask ourselves. I mean, it, it, obviously, it's possible there's something going on in humanity that whether it be the kind of food that we're eating these days, who knows what it is. But I, I think part of it has to be that, you know, we never were told in the second grade when I went to school that we could choose our gender. And today, that's what kids are being told in some public schools. Uh, I think that's what they're also being told in uh, social media and in uh, the things they're exposed to. So, I think I think we really need to have a a, a gut wrenching conversation with ourselves and society to figure out what in the world is going on with this.
0: It's important that we protect our minors and we protect these kids while they're in school because they have so many other outside influences, like influencers. TikTok and Tumblr and YouTube and all these influencers that are pushing them in that direction. Then we've got Hollywood in the media. We definitely don't need it in our school system. I agree. Yeah, that's something that parents should be more involved in. And I I appreciate all the transparency legislation as well. What are some of the other um, important educational bills that came through this week?
1: Yeah, and I've been... I'm on the education committee, so but I can't tell you in great detail. I can tell you the what these bills are attempting to accomplish, and I did support them. We have a bill to deal with the, uh, the, the pornographic books uh, in the schools that uh, tries to take the languages and code and tie it back to the obscene materials and, in a way we believe will stand up to court muster. We're sort of enthusiastic about that. We also heard from some teachers about just horrific problems that they're experiencing in the classroom, lack of discipline, kids out of control. They clear the classroom for one child and all the child children that want to listen, you know, suffer while the one child is allowed to throw things and destroy classrooms. We have to do things differently. That would have never been tolerated when I was in school. And why are we tolerating it now? So we've got a sort of a three strikes, you're out, Bill. Moving through, I think that obviously has to change because when I say out, you know, public education has an obligation to educate kids. But but I think the personal responsibility is what has disappeared. Okay, public education has a responsibility to educate kids. But what about the responsibility of the child? If the child is going to wreak havoc on everyone around them, uh, including teachers uh, and be violent and do these kinds of things, then where do we go from here? And so we've got some huge problems uh, as a society that we have to deal with. But this this bill seeks to uh, protect teachers and say, you know, at a certain point that that child will be removed from that educational setting and you will find a different educational setting so the other children in that classroom can learn. Uh, That was a result of a meeting we had with a number of teachers and they just said, we can't teach anymore. The other thing, uh, we've got a bill moving that requires that for any professional development training, they have to tell the teacher where the requirement for that training comes from. Because the other thing we heard was from so many teachers is, we don't have near the time we used to have to teach reading or writing or arithmetic or history because we're too busy with social emotional learning this and this survey and that survey and all of these things that they're being required to do. And a lot of professional development uh, things seem to be connected to social emotional learning. So we said, OK, well, now the school district is going to have to to tell teachers where these training requirements are coming from. Is it from the Department of Education? Is it from uh, where is it from? And then, but we don't totally allow, I mean, there could be a problem in a school district that they need to have a training for. They certainly can still do that. We're not trying to stop that. We just want a little bit more transparency in that area. We also have a school transparency bill running to give parents uh, greater transparency uh, in the schools. So, and and the governor's education bill is out there as well, which uh, has a number of pieces related to parental rights and uh, transparency and dealing with the books. She takes a very different approach. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of, a lot of bills that come over from the Senate. We're going to send them a lot of bills and we're going to have to figure out how to come together and, and marry this up and get something really meaningful accomplished. And I hope we will do that this session, uh, as it pertains to all these issues we've been hearing about for the last few years in our public
0: schools. For sure. And it seems like you've been doing that. And when you say that you're going to have to come together and marry those things up, what specifically does that look like?
1: That's a great question. So. We're going to get bills over from the Senate. They're going to get our bills in the House. And then what it's incumbent upon the chairs of the committees to get together with their counterparts in the other chamber and try to figure out, okay, you know, how do we wanna how do we wanna work this and find a common vehicle, a common bill that one of them gets amended? We like the things in this bill, we don't like these things. We like these things in the other bill, we don't like these things, and we bring those together, hopefully in in as small a, a smaller number of pieces of legislation as possible, and we uh, and we pass them and get them to the governor.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What um what about the licensing requirements for teachers because we've had such a shortage of teachers and et cetera?
1: There have been several licensor bills uh, that have moved. Representative you know, Tom Moore had a bill that basically, if a if a teacher was qualified to teach and done all of the things that I would would require in another state, then any of the other requirements the other state would have don't matter. They would be able to come here and get their their teaching credentials. That's something we think would be very helpful. There's another bill. I think uh, if I can remember the age correctly, there there's a there was a requirement in Iowa still is that you have to be at least 21 to teach. Well, there are are some kids maybe they're you know they're ahead of the game to get out at 17, and there's some folks that are ready to teach at 20. You know, maybe they're six months from 21, but they can't go into classroom yet. So there's a piece of legislation passed, I think, unanimously or. That allows uh, if someone is just you know twenty or twenty years and six months and they're ready to teach but they're just not quite twenty one they would be allowed uh, to get in the classroom uh, because within a few months they will be twenty one anyway so those are some of the bills that that have that have moved to try to address the the teacher shortage and the other thing I would mention based upon that meeting we had with teachers uh, one of the reasons we're going to have an increasing teacher shortage is the out of control classroom. The uh, teachers that are not being backed up by their leadership, they're not being backed up by their administrators who, according to some of the teachers we spoke to and some of them, I'm not saying every school district by any means, but in some of these school districts, apparently they don't want to report that there's been a violent act by a child because maybe it makes them look bad or something. So they're sweeping it under the rug. They're leaving these, these kids in the classroom to the point where it just becomes untenable for the teacher they can't teach. And so that's one of the things we're trying to stop. The piece of legislation I mentioned earlier, that too is a a teacher retention tool because, you know, we're going to continue to have teachers leave uh, the teaching profession when we have kids that are acting that way in schools and and the teachers aren't getting any support. They've lost all their discipline tools. Let's be upfront and honest. I was, I was, I think it was 1969, something like that. I was in the fifth grade, right? And my fifth grade teacher had a big yardstick taped together. And if you screwed around, you held your ankles and, and uh, he popped you a couple of times on the backside and only took one time and you behaved. So today teachers have nothing. I mean, literally kids can say anything they want to say to teachers, can do anything they want to do and they get a slap on the hand and, or if, or nothing. And in some cases, you know, there's this new, I think I call it, uh, you know, whatever the latest thing is that comes down the block from the liberal establishment that d- doesn't work
0: they call it restorative justice to stem the uh, school to prison pipeline and they don't want i mean there was that book how meadow died from florida they had that shooting well that kid had been through they weren't reporting all the incidences that he had acting up drawing pictures of things assaulting kids etc they wouldn't discipline him and they wouldn't report it and then he ended up you know going into the school with a gun and shooting some kids so that's something we got to get away from
1: yeah we've got to restore accountability and there's got to be discipline i mean there just has to be and uh you know i remember hearing growing up spare the rods pull the child and and that was never interpreted as you know you take a rod to a child the point was philosophically children have to be disciplined and it's not happening we all know it i mean kids in some cases are very much out of control today and we heard from teachers that they're told, oh you know you have to give them a Putsy roll or something for walking down the hall the right way or or oh you know you sat your you sat your desk for five minutes but they can't they can't discipline them when they screw up and and uh, I'm not saying this is in every school but it's in enough that it's alarming and and let me let's also talk Oliver about what's happening in our families. Teachers should not have to be dealing with this. Parents, it's just a fact. It's an unfortunate fact. We have so many broken homes that parents are not teaching their kids. If I had done some of the things that I hear kids do and and uh, gone home to my parents, I don't know what would have happened to me. And but yet that doesn't happen. Today. If I got in trouble at school, when I got home, I was in trouble again. Right? So I,
0: I know what happened to you. You have the same haircut I did. When when I was yeah. a kid and I was getting in trouble, my mom said, "I'm going to snatch you bald headed." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. I always tell people, well, look what happened.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember famously, my mother would say, you know, wait till your father gets home. And when your father gets home, the belt would come off. And it was rarely used, but occasionally the belt would come across the bottom of the, le- the you know, the, the back of the leg. It, it was not abuse. It was good discipline. And, and I know we live in a different time. I'm simply saying we have to get to a time where children children are disciplined again that really shouldn't be the teacher's
0: responsibility.
1: That's the family's responsibility. That's the parent's responsibility. And so uh, we have huge issues uh, and the government can't solve them all.
0: The government can't solve them all. And there are repercussions for every action in life. And it's important for our kids to be able to learn that at a young age so that they're not absolutely caught up in, you know, the wrong kind of thing when they're older.
1: Well, it goes back to, Everything today is about feelings, you know, how are you feeling, feeling, feeling. And so kids today are basing everything on their feelings as opposed to reality, as opposed to facts, and as opposed to the way life really works. Uh, I think what also feeds into that, I'm very concerned. I think, uh, Oliver, when I was in school, we had one chance to take a test. And if we failed the test, we failed the test. That was it. and We moved on. Sometimes you might be able to do some makeup work or whatever, but in general, one shot, because that's how life is. You don't usually get a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth chance at a job. When you screw up, uh, you may be warned once you try, and so then you get terminated. So, kids today that get any number of chances to take tests in school, or they get a fifty percent, no matter if they turn in no work at all. In some cases, in some schools, the teacher cannot give below the grade of fifty percent, and so all of these things have destroyed accountability. And all of these things have created, I think, a an alternate version of reality so that when kids get out of school, they can't deal with the real world. And we are seeing that across our country. And if it doesn't change, you know, I I, I just shudder to think how a country looks in not too many years in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're really got, kind of going towards equal outcome instead of equal opportunity, which it's it's a challenge. You know, you have kids that, are working hard, that want to go to the next step, but they're kind of held back. Absolutely. What happened with the uh, Second Amendment Preservation Act?
1: So I really more and more uh, believe that we we need to pass a version of the Second Amendment Preservation Act that works, especially with what's going on in Washington, D.C. and other places. The situation we're dealing with in Iowa is we've got a group called the Iowa Gun Owners that support the Second Amendment Preservation Act. We've got the Iowa Firearms Coalition, which is a well-respected gun organization that's been in Iowa for many, many years. And the NRA, is say that there are problems with the language and, and uh, they're concerned about the language. And we've got law enforcement uh, that is, you know, in Missouri that continue. There's a number of lawsuits still flying in Missouri where SAPA was passed. And they continue to, some law enforcement organizations continue to express concerns as to whether they can legitimately cooperate with, federal law enforcement authorities in the legitimate things we would all want them to do, like drug interdiction or gun interdiction, gang stuff, whatever the case may be. They're concerned about doing it under some of the provisions of, of SAPA that passed in Missouri because they're concerned about lawsuits and, and violating the law. So with that in mind, I did have a subcommittee on Second Amendment Preservation Act. I think the first one has ever gotten in Iowa. I'm very interested in seeing if we could advance that legislation But as long as I've got the Iowa Farms Coalition and the NRA saying that they believe there are great problems with the the language and including saying they believe it might be uh, might give Iowans the belief that they have some protections that they don't have uh, in reality because of how federal law works with state law. That is why I did not advance. We need to continue to have discussions to see if we can work those things out. But I increasingly believe we have to pass protections try to prevent uh, federal overreach uh, into the Second Amendment
0: rights. So what's the path forward for that type of legislation right now?
1: Well, now the funnel has passed, so it can always be attached to a bill at the end of session. We always have the ability to do that. But at this point in time, I, we just need to bring a lot of parties to the table together uh, and try to figure out a path forward for the, for the legislation, which could possibly be next session.
0: Oh, do you have ideas for how the language might be changed to make it more usable?
1: Well, therein lies the problem, because I've got I've got two different groups that say there's nothing wrong with the language that needs to go as is, and other groups that say, no, there are problems. So I wish I could answer that for you right now, Oliver, but I can't. I, I don't know what the answer is at this point.
0: What uh, What else is coming up this next week? I mean, what should we be looking for? How can we help? Uh, move-along legislation, or who should we be talking to?
1: Well, if it works the way it normally works, uh, starting this coming week, you're going to start to start to see more and more debate on the floor. Now that we've had our first funnel week, which is, you know, all the time leading up to first funnel week is mostly committee work, and very few bills actually passed on the floor. There were a few this year we passed. Obviously, at the very beginning of session, we passed uh, school choice, and we always have to pass at the beginning of session the rules to govern uh, govern the general assembly we have to do that in the first year which this was and then we have to pass uh, uh supplemental state aid other than that we don't really pass any other legislation we do committee work until the first funnel then after the first funnel you will see there will continue to be some committee work because we have to now deal with the senate bills and marry up all those things like we talked about but more and more you'll begin to see floor action you'll begin to see a lot of debating on the floor so this is when we hope that the eminent domain bill comes to the floor this is when we hope that the education bills that we talked about, And the the, uh, bathroom bill and the the hormone therapy and gender surgery bill, we would hope to see those start coming to the floor in the next few weeks.
0: And who decides what comes to the floor and what doesn't?
1: Well, actually, the person that is responsible for that in the House is the majority leader, uh, which is Matt Winchester. Now, he doesn't work in a vacuum, obviously. We as committee chairs go to the majority leader and we say these are the priorities that, you know, we try not to pass anything out of committee that, that we don't believe is useful because we don't want to waste people's time, right? but there are some things more important than others and when you have 110 days you sometimes run out of time and so we have to go to leadership we have to go to the majority leader and say these are the bills that we think are the most important bills that need to need to get to the floor then he makes ultimately makes those decisions and obviously the speaker of the house has input into that as well but the majority leader actually is tasked with that responsibility deciding what comes to the floor and putting the calendar together
0: so if there's a bill we want to go to the floor we need to be contacting the house majority leader if it's a house file
1: absolutely and your own state representatives because then they can also go to the majority leader and say hey please bring this legislation to the floor i'm hearing from a lot of my constituents
0: right okay and then on the senate side who do people contact for the senate file?
1: It's a good question. I'm not as familiar with the Senate. I'm going to I'm going to assume it's the Senate majority leader, which would be Jack Whitford, as opposed to the Senate president, which is Amy Sinclair. But never having served in the Senate, I'm not sure those mechanisms are the same, but I suspect that's how it would be. All
0: right. OK. And that's that's kind of where we direct people anyway. But that makes sense.
1: You know, we never get everything done that we want to get done. It just doesn't happen. Because we have 110 days, and sometimes we, you know, we're not all the board up there. We don't always agree on everything. So sometimes priorities of mine don't get to the floor. Priorities of other people don't get to the floor. But I think this is one of the most incredible sessions I've been a part of in terms of the willingness to go after the things that I think, you know, we can all we have, we have to pass budgets and we have to do all those things to keep government functioning. But the things we're passing this year, have, I think, have to do with the future of our society and the future of our culture. And and I don't think. The, the, the future survival of our republic comes just from government. I think it comes from from the battles we're start, you know we're having that are very, very real in terms of, of fighting against some of the destructive forces that are taking place that threaten to bring our republic down. And some of those things we can't do much about in in, in uh, Iowa, I'm very concerned about how the government's spending money. I'm afraid they're going to collapse our economy with the amount of money they're spending like it just doesn't matter anymore. They just spend it like there's no tomorrow. If, if we get into a war, you know, I remember even during World War II, everybody remembers the government had to sell war bonds and all because we had to finance what in the world would we do today if we got into a serious world war with the death that we have. I just think that our leaders in Washington, D.C. are so short-sighted and are so doing things that are so not positive for our country. So there's a lot of things like that on the horizon. And I think in the Iowa House, we have really gone after a lot of those issues in a way that I've never seen before. And that's why we're getting a lot more criticism right now from the press than than maybe we have in the past, because we are going after those issues that that we believe are the morally right thing to do. And, and then you get called intolerant, and mean, and bigoted and all those things just because you're standing up for truth. And so, but I've been very impressed this year with the we had an incredible freshman class come in and, and so it's been really amazing to watch the work we've been trying to get done.
0: Yeah. And sometimes, you know, the smallest component of society yells the loudest and attacks the most. And we just have to stand strong against that. Yep. Especially when it comes to, you know, you talk about our future, it's our kids in school that are our future, you know, and if they're being pushed towards this academic left style of thinking, uh, we're not going to have much of a future.
1: It amazes me that we're being called radical because we think Boys should use boys' restrooms and girls should use girls' restrooms. We're the ones that are radical. And, and you know, we're not the ones that move the goalposts. You know, everybody in our country until a few years ago understood that boys went to the boys' bathroom and girls went to the girls' bathroom. But we're the radical ones. So I think it's amazing to watch how they twist truth and twist reality.
0: I saw a list of all the uh, education bills that are quote-unquote discriminatory and the little blurbs they would post about them. And I, I I would go back and reread the bill and I I would think, where did they get that? You know, this is really transparency. This is to protect the kid. This is to protect the the parents, so the parents know what's going on. But the other side just flips it, uses a sentence to say this is discriminatory when it's really not. Like you said, I spoke on behalf of the bathroom bill, and it's just common sense. Yep. I think what I said was, you know, I went to the Grand Canyon and there was a railing overlooking a thousand foot drop. Most people wouldn't be dumb enough to sit on the railing, but they had to put a sign there that said, don't sit on the railing. And it's just for the small group that will sit on that Hmm. railing and possibly fall (laughs) off and hurt themselves, you know? So I don't believe that in our school systems... There's a whole bunch of administration that is saying, "Hey, go ahead and use whatever bathroom you want. Go ahead and use whatever shower you want." Great. But unfortunately, there's a small handful that are doing that, and that's what the signs for. That's what the laws for.
1: Yeah, you know, earlier we passed a really big piece of legislation, still has to come before to that said, you know, you have to if 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 a child wants to gender transition or use different pronouns or names, you have to tell the parents, right? Because we had those schools that weren't going to do that, Lenmar. So we're called mean and hateful. We're called mean and hateful when we're told that boys have to use boys' restrooms, girls' have to use girls' restrooms. Mean and hateful when we say that these, you know, gender reassignment surgeries and hormone therapies we think can't be for minors. It's incredible.
0: The opponents would say forcibly outs transgender students if faculty or staff learn that the student is trans. So forcibly outs.
1: By telling the parents something that is so monumental that could affect that child's mental health, depression, all sorts of issues, those parents have to know. And it's dangerous if they're not told. That was called mean and hateful. All these pieces of legislation we've done are called mean and hateful. But the reality for me is that what is mean and hateful are lies and what is love is truth. So that's what we have to stand on. It is being loving to children to tell them the truth. And it is not loving to tell them lies. And so. That's, that's where we're at, though. It's, it's amazing how things are getting twisted around. And wrong is right. Right is wrong these days.
0: You know, sometimes being a good parent is hard. Your kid's throwing a fit. They want candy. It's late at night. They want to stay up. And they have a bedtime, you know? And you, you have rules and you have guidelines to help them progress and succeed in life. And to give in all the time into the, some of these fantasies, I don't think is helpful in any way. I could not agree more. And trying to force
1: everybody else into the into the alternate version of reality—that's the other thing disturbing to me. You have to use these pronouns that don't match your biological sex, or you're offending me. I'm sorry, but I, I think we have to stop this idea that others must be forced into someone else's alternate version of reality.
0: Exactly. You know, and and honestly, to me, I mean, I love I love all people. I think sometimes doing the, the right thing is sometimes uncomfortable if you really care about people, you don't lie to them. You know, you tell them the truth
1: and truth is love. I mean, truth is love, right? that's that simple. And sometimes truth is not well received by people. It's not, that's just, we all know that in life And sometimes truth is not well received, but that doesn't mean we, we still can't, we still
0: have to tell the truth. So exactly. Well, representative Holt, thanks so much for joining us today. We always appreciate it. How can people find you?
1: Email me at stephen.holt, S-T-E-V-E-N dot H-O-L-T at legis, L-E-G-I-S dot Iowa, I-O-W-A dot gov, G-O-V.
0: And I, I can tell you, he wants to hear from you whether you agree with him or not, right?
1: That's absolutely true. Sometimes it'll take me a couple of days to get back with you because we, we get a lot of emails this time of the year. So.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Um, and you can find him on Facebook. Uh, he also has the Freedom Watch. He jumps on once in a while. I haven't watched your last one, but somebody told me it was pretty awesome, so you must have been on fire. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to jump on and check that one out.
1: I love these too, Oliver. Thank you for doing these. These are great.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us and everyone else. I hope this was helpful next week. I'm not sure who we'll have on, but we'll do another this week at the Capitol. We just want to keep everyone updated on what's going on. And so with that being said, until next time. Just remember our state motto: Our liberties we prize, and our rights we will maintain. So, have a-